we're going to read in a moment. Olivia's kind of going to read the passage that's there on the inside of your sheets. Um, so if you want to know where we're going, um, that's on the inside here, the passage. A couple of other passages I'll refer to, and then an outline of the talk. Um, but before we get there, just a very short reminder um, of the, the title we've given to the whole of the 1 Corinthians series, Be Who You Are in Christ. Um, we saw right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians that they have a status that is perfect, holy, um, in, in God, in Christ. Uh, because Jesus has already rescued them, uh, their status before him is those who are holy, who are spirit-filled, who um, please God. And so there's the answer to Tanya's question. Um, does the Holy Spirit ever leave us? No, because we're safe in Christ. It's not about what we've done for him, but what he has done for us. And so we're secure in Christ. Once we've trusted in Christ, he's rescued us by living the life that we fail to live and dying the death we deserve to die to bring us into a relationship with God that can never be broken. And yet, as we've worked our way through Corinthians, this is one seriously messy church. And um, in some ways it's reassuring as we read through it. Gosh, we're probably not quite as bad as the Corinthians. I think that's an okay feeling as we go through. They are really messed up church. Uh, there's ways probably that we're worse, but they, they've got some serious mess going on there, including incest and prostitution within the church and infighting, and we'll see some of that here. Um, so the message of 1 Corinthians is be who you are in Christ. You've been rescued. You've, you're, you're safe in him. Live out who he wants you to be, um, the person that he has saved you to be. Okay. And then as we move into this new section of 1 Corinthians, we're kind of following a series of answers to Paul's questions. So do you see there at the top of your sheets um, in the passage before ours, chapter 7, verse 1, I've just put, now for the matters you wrote about. So in, in, in chapters 1 to 6, Paul writes to them about stuff that he feels they need to listen to, whether they wrote to him about them or not. And then from 7 onwards, he's dealing with stuff that, that they've brought up. And one of those things, it seems to be, is this idea about being a, a spirit-filled church or a spiritual church and who's spiritual and who's not spiritual and so on. And so um, that's where we get to in, in this section. In fact... Uh, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. Well, that word gifts of the Spirit is a bit of a, an extended translation. Um, really, he just says spiritual matters, spiritual things. Um, he does talk about gifts of the Spirit, so it's a fair translation. But about spiritual matters, brothers and sisters, I do want, not want you to be uninformed. So they want to know what a Spirit-filled church looks like. Well, here we go, and, and we're going to spend the next however many weeks up till the end of uh, chapter 14 dealing with this question in particular. Um, but we're just going to do 13 verses now, and over to Olivia. You wrote about. Now about the gift of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you, are, when you were pagans, somehow or other you were or rather you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of gifts of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one the, manifest the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. No one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the Spirit, to another face by the same Spirit, to another gift of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguish between spirits, to another speaking in different kind of, kinds of tongues, and to still another's interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as a body, through one, has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Thank you very much. 
Okay, a spirit-filled church looks like. Well, you can see where I'm going because the the points we're going to follow through are just one long sentence. Um, So if you follow through on the sheet, a spirit-filled church looks like humble people, united in Jesus, diverse in his service, each serving the common good. Um, That's my attempt to to summarize the passage. And we're just going to work through uh, the verses on the sheet um, in order uh, following those headings. And so a spirit-filled church looks like, firstly, humble people. Well, as you read on, or if you've been reading through 1 Corinthians, you'll know that that doesn't seem to be a summary of what the Corinthians were like. And yet, as we come to this first section, Paul wants to to humble them, to to bring them low, to to help them to recognize um, what their status is kind of apart from Christ or in and of themselves. Well, the first thing he does to to humble them is, is he says, verse 1, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Well, this was a church that thought if there was one subject on which they were really well informed, it is the gifts of the Spirit. And and the word he uses could be translated ignorant. I, I don't want you to be ignorant. And, and he's basically accusing them of really not knowing what they're talking about. They think they know exactly what they're talking about. They know who the spiritual people are and the unspiritual people. But he's saying, no, no, no. I don't want you to be ignorant. I think you are, and I don't want you to be. And then he says, verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. So not only are you ignorant of the things that you think you know about, but also you just need to remember that actually most of your lives you were subject to really dangerous influences, to to dumb idols, to pagan worship. And so a lot of the ideas that you're getting might be informed by a world around you that is all messed up on spiritual things. In fact, we know that in Corinth there were lots of different idols and gods offering competing spiritual experiences. And so that might be one of the reasons why they've carried that sense of competition into the church, all looking for the spiritual experience that they're expecting, rather than allowing the Lord Jesus to dictate what it means to live life now that they're trusting him. So they need to be humbled and recognize that they've got no reason to to look down on others because they were led astray by all kinds of things. These Corinthians, they wanted to create a hierarchy system, a kind of... Uh, spiritual, non-spiritual Christians. They wanted to, to divide people into to, to the better or the worst, the most impressive gifts and the least impressive gifts. And then Paul says, verse 3, which is so important to, to get a grip of as, on as we come to this subject, and actually as our churches, there are churches who label themselves today uh, charismatic or Holy Spirit churches. There are churches that label themselves cessationist uh, churches who say that the gifts have ceased. There are Pentecostal churches. There are churches who say, well, we're better than all of you. We give ourselves labels. But actually Paul says there are only two types of people. Do you see them in verse 3? There are only two types of people. Therefore, I want you to know, verse 3, that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are only two types of people. There are those who say, Jesus is Lord. And they say that by the Holy Spirit. And there are those who don't say, Jesus is Lord, effectively say, Jesus be cursed. I I, I couldn't care less about Jesus. You see, the only distinction is between Christian and non-Christian. Those who confess Jesus as Lord and those who ignore him. That's the only distinction that matters, which, which is designed to humble us. Because we're all in the same boat. We all need Jesus to take over our lives as our Lord. Because, well, it's not very flattering, but we've all made a mess of our Lord. We've talked and prayed about that already in this service. We've made a mess of our lives. In and of ourselves, we're separate from God. We've, we've decided to live our lives our way and tell God to get out of the picture. And as a result, we've made a mess of the relationships we live in and the people we love the most are the people we hurt the most. And we realize that before a holy God, we have nothing to say. We can't look down on anyone else. We've made a mess. And actually, Jesus shows us that by coming into this world and living the perfect life. And if I compare myself with him, I realize 
my life is a mess. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and I need rescuing. And I see that as he died on the cross, bleeding and naked and ashamed. And we saw at the beginning of 1 Corinthians that that the message of wisdom, the message we really need to hold on to is the message of, of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because as we proud people who are boasting and competing with one another look at the cross and we see the bleeding, naked, ashamed son of God dying for our sin, we recognize just how serious our sin is. And just how rubbish we must be. And that that's true of each and every one of us. And so it humbles us. And yet he didn't stay dead, did he? As Jesus died on that cross to pay for my sin and to take all the, the evil and the mess of the world on himself and then die, he conquered death as he rose again to give us new life. So as we trust in him, we go on that journey. Our sin and death dies so that we can look forward to a new life with him. And that phrase, Jesus is Lord, is the confession that every Christian is called to make on their baptism when they're called into faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That initiation ceremony, which is only using water, but it's an amazingly powerful symbol. As you go down into the water, you die to your old life. So each of us is humbled. We, we say, my old life is a mess. I need to, to die to that old life. And as you're held under the water, as if you're, you've buried that, it's gone. And then you're raised up out of the water to new life in him, to live out who you're meant to be, be who you are in Christ. And so I've got no reason for pride, and yet full security going forward and joy. So we're not just humble people, we're joyful people in Christ, but we've got no reason to look down on anyone else. And, and that distinction between those who say Jesus is Lord or those who say Jesus be cursed or I couldn't give a two hoots about Jesus, is the only distinction that really matters. And it really does matter. I don't know if you were thinking like, like me as you read that through. Well, if that's the only distinction, it, Jesus is Lord, well, I could get my computer to say Jesus is Lord, just type it in and press play. It would say Jesus is Lord. I could go and get someone on the street to say Jesus is Lord. In fact, there are lots of people who say Lord, Lord, but you wouldn't be the first person to work that out. Do you see there on your sheets underneath the passage we looked at? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said that as well. You see Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And these are all the things we're about to talk about in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles, all these spiritual things. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That the point about Jesus is Lord is that we say Jesus is Lord and we mean it, that he is the one who's in charge of our lives. Not that we're now suddenly impressive people who can do all these things in his name. And so the question we need to ask each other is not how gifted are you, But we need to ask each other and ourselves, if I say Jesus is Lord, do I really mean that in every area of my life? Or even as I come to this passage on spiritual gifts and wanting to to live the spirit-filled life, am I aware that there's some part of my life that I'm holding back from Jesus' lordship? Lord means ruler, controller, master. The one who's in the driving seat, the one who makes the decisions. Am I influenced more by my culture or by my, my pride than I am by Jesus in the way that I live? It's a question that we all need to be asking ourselves again and again, and it humbles us. It humbles us. Well, a spirit-filled church looks like humble people. And then secondly... United in Jesus, diverse in his service. I I was thinking of making this two points, because it is two things, isn't it? United in Jesus, diverse in his service. But but it's not two points, actually. It's one point. And we get to see that in the next little section, because all Christians are spirit-filled Christians united in Jesus. You see that last bit of verse 3? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you've said Jesus is Lord, you are filled with the Spirit. And we'll look at that a little bit more in a moment. But we're not all the same. 
uh, we are diverse. And God loves diversity in unity because, well, that's exactly who God is, isn't it? God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the next three verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, I don't know if you saw it as we uh, read it through the first time, we get to see God described as Spirit, Son, and Father, but in slightly different language to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you see verse 4? It says, there are different kinds of gifts. There's a diversity there. But the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, distributes them. Verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. If you read through the New Testament, you'll see that most of the time that the word Lord is used, it's referring to the Lord Jesus. Then verse 6, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And often when Lord and God are stated together and contrasted in some way, that is Father and Son. So there are different kinds of working. So different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kinds of working. Same Spirit, same Lord Jesus, same God the Father. We are like our God, united in Jesus, diverse in his service. Well, God isn't uh, in that same way. But our unity and our diversity reflect the Godhead. God who is one in nature and three in person. And the way that we interrelate, the way that we need each other is a reflection of our independent God who is independent because he is interdependent. And we can only function as a church because we are interdependent, made in God's image and remade in his image in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, hopefully that hasn't confused you more. But the simple point is we're made differently with different gifts, different ways of ministering to each other, of serving, different ways of working. But rather than compete or show off, we are to work together. And it may be that in this church you've already experienced frustrations with one another in the different ways that you're gifted, in the different ways that you serve, in the different ways that you work at things. And often we can use that as a reason to to feel disunited. But actually... Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit has deliberately made us different in the way that we have gifts and the way that we serve and the way that we work together so that we would complement each other and build each other up. And so we want to celebrate that and work with that and see what, what God is teaching us as to how we can work through our differences to become the body that he wants us to be. Just, just briefly look at verses 12 and 13. We're going to come back to this next week. But we see the same principle of unity and diversity. Do you see verse 12 at the, at the bottom of that passage? Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. One body, many parts, and we're going to look at that in detail next week. But you see here that this idea of being baptized in the Spirit is a universal gift. Do you see? For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. So if you're trusting in Christ, if you're part of the body of Christ, you have been baptized in the Spirit. It's a universal gift of the Spirit which comes at conversion. As soon as you say, Jesus is Lord, that's the Holy Spirit working in you, you've been baptized in the Spirit. And we're told in in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And for this reason, I'm not a classic Pentecostal who would say that you're, you're converted and then you receive the Spirit at a later stage. No, you see Pentecost happening as a one off event. But we are crazy if we if we take this truth to say, well, Pentecost for all of us happened as soon as we trusted in Christ, which is right. We were baptized in the Spirit as soon as we trust in Christ. That's just as baptism is the sign of the initiation into God's people. So baptism in the Spirit is the spiritual reality of that that happens when we come to Christ. But if we take that truth and use it as an excuse to ignore our ongoing dependence on God the Holy Spirit to empower us for service and mission... Well, then we're just idiots. 
And I think I've used my conservative evangelicalism sometimes to, to allow me to get into that idiotic mindset of, yeah, yeah, well, I was baptized by the Spirit as soon as I was converted. I'm not having this argument with the Pentecostals. And so, well, I, now I just get on with living the Christian life by myself. Well, that's, that's crazy. In fact, what we get to see in Acts, when in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the people were filled with the Spirit on Pentecost... That same phrase, filled with the Spirit, is used again and again of the same people. Uh, Peter, filled with the Spirit, speaks to um, the, the onlookers when he's, healed, uh, when he's healed a man at, at the temple courts. Um, Acts 4.31, we're told that the believers prayed together that they would be given boldness to preach the word of God. And indeed, they're told, they're, we're told they were filled with the Spirit and went out and preached the word of God boldly. And there's example after example after example of that the same believers who were baptized by the Spirit at Pentecost, having that same phrase, being filled with the Spirit again and again and again to be empowered for service and ultimately for, for mission. When I was at, uh, at university, um, the churches in the, the Christian Union often divided themselves into um, what we called conservative or charismatic churches. And I think that's just such a tragedy. Paul's already told us here that there's only two distinctions, Christian, non-Christian, those who say Jesus be cursed, those who say Jesus is Lord. And yet we were dividing ourselves. And, and there was a big charismatic movement in 60s, 70s, 80s in this country, and it sort of carried on. And I feel like the kind of effects of it are slightly less kind of tense today that they were, but there are still issues. And... Um, I was listening to uh, someone called Matt Chandler, who's a famous preacher in America, um, who came from a very conservative background and then realized that actually the arguments for this kind of full cessationism, the argument that all miraculous gifts have ceased, um, just didn't really work. And he started to meet very biblical people who were happily calling themselves charismatic. And he said it was a bit like having divorced parents who... If you've, if you've ever been in that experience, and I can imagine it from, from friends of mine who've talked about it, you go to one house and the dad's saying, oh, your mum's not like that, is she? She's not teaching you that, is she? Oh, you shouldn't listen to her in that way. And then you go to your mum's house and she says, oh, no, don't listen to your dad. He's, he's, and they caricature each other. And they sort of bicker through those who are going from one side to the other. And actually, there's a huge amount that we can learn from each other as long as we come to the scriptures rather than try and get one over each other. We mustn't be tribal. And, and so although there's the main message of this passage is about the local church, not about relations between churches, there's huge value in discussion between churches who would disagree on this issue. Um, there's unity and diversity. And in fact, the unity in the body of Christ really comes and works itself out as we express the diversity that we've been given by the Spirit of God. And why have we been given these diverse gifts? Why have we been given these diverse gifts? Well, third point. And at any point here, you feel free to, to interrupt me. In fact, Noah's going to interrupt me right now. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Mm. That's a really helpful question, yeah. And I, and I think that's the, the, the big emphasis is that uh, God, the Holy Spirit, is the third person of the Trinity. So um, he's not a an it that we can have more or less of. He's a person that we can depend on more or less. Um, and so just as a child can either actively rebel against or distance themselves from a parent or stay close and listen to and obey, um, so we can too with God himself. And in some sense, the way we experience God most relationally here on earth is by his spirit. So Jesus said, I'm going away, but I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another counselor, one to come alongside you, the Holy Spirit. So the way we, we interact with God 
on this earth and the way that we express him, we're going to look at this a little bit more as a church, is through the Holy Spirit. Now, also the Spirit empowers us to do the things that we are too weak to do, to, to, to witness in a way that changes lives, to, to bring the word of God into people's lives, to speak the gospel into people's lives. And so we need to seek to go on being filled with the Spirit, um, not as an it, but as a him who, who fills us and equips us and empowers us to do the work that only he can do. Is that helpful? Just have a look at uh, verse 19. Oh, right at the bottom, sorry. So 1 Thessalonians, we'll, co- we'll come back to this. There's just a little phrase, verse 19 of 1 Thessalonians 5, there at the bottom of your sheet, says, do not quench the Spirit. Um, as in, don't, don't push him away and try and live your lives your way. Which is kind of definition of sin, isn't it? It's pushing God out of the picture and trying to live our lives independently. Um, but rather instead, the opposite of quenching the Spirit is actively inviting him to, to burn his fire in our hearts so that we might live wholeheartedly for him. Yeah, go on. He's a person. Yeah. Is it uh, Galatians 5 where it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5? Anyway, somewhere in the letters. <laughs> um, Sarah, go on. Yeah. Acts 17. Um, yeah, so there's a number of instances in Acts where there's a two-stage conversion. Um, and the, the simplest of those are, there's Pentecost in Judea, then there's Samaria, where it happens, two stages, and then there's the Gentiles. And then, yeah, so, so we get to see these groundbreaking moments where we see every category of person that you could think of gets to be baptized with the Spirit. And there are specific moments where the apostles witness that. But then after that point, everyone who trusts in Christ is, is filled with the Spirit. And then there's one uh, unique episode where Paul meets these guys in, I think it's Acts 17. Is it Acts 17, Ruth? Um, That's right. Um, and I think basically... I. I we can come back to that, um, but just in the interest of time, I, I, I'm convinced that they, they basically weren't believers. Uh, so they'd received John's baptism um, rather than trusting exclusively in Christ. So they, w- they were still sort of waiting. So it's almost they got left behind in Acts uh, 19, sorry, Acts 19. Um, so this idea of a two-stage um, conversion I don't think is helpful. Nevertheless, I think that the way Luke uses the term baptism in the Spirit is different from how Paul uses it. And I can understand how Christians who would say you need to be baptized in the Spirit are are, are effectively saying you need to look for a deeper, fuller dependence on God because you're sort of paddling around in the shallow end and you should reach out to him and pray to him and he will give you a deeper sense of the wonder of the gospel and the delight of being a child of God 
And in doing that, he will empower you to send you out. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's one of the, 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 he's dead now, but he divides, some of his followers are incredibly conservative and some are Pentecostal um, because he kind of talked both languages and he talked about baptism in the spirit or being filled with the spirit as like a, a father and son walking down the street and they're just really happy in their relationship. Um, uh, but there's just, there's, there's not a deep sense of assurance and delight at that particular moment. And the father looks at his son, the son looks up at his father, and the father grabs his son and gives him a massive hug and says, I love you so much. And then just puts him down and they carry on walking. And suddenly the son's got a spring in his step and a delight and wants to talk about the relationship he has with his father. And, and I think that's a repeated event. And often there's been a debate with, I think I've talked about this before, what, can we talk to someone, can we say to a Christian, you need to repent and believe the gospel? Who, who would you think I was talking to if I said you need to repent and believe the gospel? And often people would say, well, it sounds like you're talking to a non-Christian. But actually, Christians are told repeatedly to repent and believe the gospel, repent and believe the gospel. So the gospel that saves us is the gospel that keeps us and transforms us. And the more we understand the gospel, the wonder of what Jesus has done for us, so we grow in him. And so I don't have a problem with the idea that the command to be baptized in the Spirit, or I think it's less controversial to say to be filled with the Spirit or empowered by the Spirit, the same Spirit who baptized those believers at Pentecost goes on empowering them and filling them and empowering them and filling them and empowering them and filling them. And so I don't want to spend ages debating with my Pentecostal brothers as to whether or not I should be looking for that deeper experience. Yeah, I want it. Again and again and again and again and again. Um, and um, my personal testimony would be that I trusted in Christ and it was kind of like a transaction. I believe I was saved age 15, um, but it, I prayed the prayer and I was like, yeah, this is great. You know, Jesus died for me. And then age 17, uh, I was... Uh, I, didn't, I, didn't he- I didn't even know about the charismatic debate. And uh, age 17, I was uh, at a Bible study with a mentor of mine at school. And um, after the Bible study, he said to me, um, Alex, if you believe that you're going to heaven and your friends who don't know Jesus are going to hell, if you don't tell them about Jesus, either you don't love them or you don't love God. And I can still to this day remember the spot where I was standing in his study with a green, ugly carpet similar to this. And in that moment, it was as if all the lights turned on and a joy filled my heart and an excitement about the gospel. And I realized, hang on a minute, I'm going to heaven. I've been saved from hell for heaven. I have a relationship with God. And there's all those people out there who don't know Jesus and they need to know. And it's really good news for them. And I I just want to tell them about Jesus. And literally, that was a turning point in my life. And so when Pentecostals or people who believe in a kind of second blessing uh, talk about their experience, for example, I read Terry Virgo's biography, The Spirit-Filled Life, which I'd recommend to anyone, and he talks about his experience of being filled with the Spirit. I'm like, yeah, I get that. I had no idea about the conservative charismatic debate at the time that I had it, and I'm so glad that I didn't. (laughs) Um, But it's the same thing. And I think we should each be just unashamedly, let's not worry about which tribe we belong to. Let's be pursuing God to be filled with the Spirit. And if you feel your Christian life is really dry and dull at the moment and you're just going through the motions and you know Jesus is Lord and that's fine, but it doesn't seem to really make a difference to your life, well, why not pray? Gather others around to pray. And if, you, if you're really serious about it, get them to lay hands on you and to pray with you and to pray that you would have a, a real experience of the wonder and delight of a relationship with God so that you'd be filled to the Spirit so that you'd go out just full of the joy of Jesus and sharing the gospel. Let's do that again and again and again, right? Yeah, we want that? <laughs> um, we're running low on time. <laughs> um, so, uh, each serving uh, the common good. So, humble people, a spirit-filled church looks like humble people, united in Jesus, diverse in his service, each serving the common good. And what we're going to do is look at verse 7. Just have a look at verse 7 with me. And we're going to drill into this. Um, Don't worry if we don't get all the way through the passage. Uh, These themes repeat each other uh, and there'll be chance for questions over the course of the next however many weeks. Um, But let's just focus in on verse 7. Paul says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And I'm just going to break that down into its component parts um, and, um, uh, and explain it. 
So first, uh, to each. Simple point. That's you. That's you. Whoever you are, however much you feel supernaturally gifted or really not, however much you feel like you're a core part of this church or right on the edge of things, you are supernaturally gifted by the Holy Spirit. And actually the distinction between natural and supernatural, we talked about it a bit at the the beginning discussion, isn't really important. The issue is the relationship because the Holy Spirit isn't an it. He's not a force. He's a person. And he comes alongside you and he gifts you and equips you to serve the church. So to each, each one of you is given. Is given. It's a gift. Whatever you have to serve the church, and maybe you're still working that out, maybe you're just doing it. Just by being here, actually you are serving the church and the body of Christ. It's a massive encouragement just to see our brothers and sisters. It's hard when they're away, and that should prompt us to pray for them and look out for them and to draw them in. Maybe that's an encouragement that you could do. use, uh, ask the Spirit to help you to encourage those who are not here today. But, But the gifts that you have are given to you by God himself. And so, firstly, it's not something you can boast in. Even if you had particular gifts that you use here before you were a Christian. Because God owns you now. You're dead to your old life. That's gone and buried. You're alive in him. And the word for gifts in verse 4 is charisma, which is the word where we get charismatic. But actually, the, the word's more often translated grace. So the gifts that you have from the Holy Spirit are God's grace to you, his undeserved riches to you. And verse 11, just have a look down to verse 11 at the bottom of that paragraph we're looking at. All these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. God the Holy Spirit has given you exactly what he has determined. He has given you exactly what he has determined already. And, and I, at this point, I just want to say sorry, because I've found myself sulking a lot recently, um, the last few weeks especially. And um, I think the reason I've been sulking is because I, I often feel I should have been given more. And at the very least, all these chairs should be full. And actually, we should be in a much bigger building. And, and this ministry should be much more impressive. And there should be newcomers coming in and people being saved every week. I feel I deserve that. I feel I deserve that. I feel I I should have been given more. And so often I just look at the empty seats. And often I look at the things that I don't have. And I think I'm entitled to more than this. But actually, verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I've been given exactly what God wants to give me. God, the Holy Spirit, has thought, this is what Alex needs. This is the kind of church he needs. Perhaps he needs the empty chairs because he's full of pride and he thinks he's the Messiah. And I just, I just want to say, I'm, I'm sorry that I've, I've been down about not having what the Holy Spirit hasn't given me. And, and maybe that's something we all need to say. Maybe we all need to say sorry to God Say, we don't normally address the Holy Spirit. We normally pray to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. But maybe say sorry to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I am, I am sorry that I bemoan and I grumble about what I don't have rather than praising you for what you have given me and asking you to teach me what you want me to do with it. To each is given, thirdly, the manifestation of the Spirit. That word manifestation, it's a, it's a long word. It means expression or showing. It means that the Holy Spirit expresses or shows himself in the church with its many diverse gifts. Now, it's true to say from the end of John's Gospel, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, that that the main role of the Holy Spirit is to put a spotlight on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the reason that we talk a lot more about Jesus than we do about the Holy Spirit is because that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. He wants us to to focus on Jesus. And the way we know we're a spirit-filled church is we say Jesus is Lord, right? But actually, 
This is the one area where, where we get to see that the Holy Spirit wants to be seen, but he doesn't want to be seen as himself. He wants to be seen as gifting the body of Christ to build itself up. The, the, the place where the um, people in the Old Testament experienced the Holy Spirit the most in kind of, kind of visible expression was in the temple. And, and we're told that we, as the body of Christ, are like living stones of the temple growing together. And as we serve each other with our different gifts... The Spirit is being shown, is being manifested, is being displayed. And so the, the question is, are we actively, depending on the Holy Spirit, to, to, to show himself? And are we seeing as we come into church, at this gathering or in our, in our gospel communities, or as we reach out to those on the edge of things or those who can't be here, are we seeing that we have an opportunity to display the work and the power of the Holy Spirit to love people who we wouldn't normally love? To love people who we only can call brothers and sisters because of the Lord Jesus Christ. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Lastly, for the common good. For the common good. And this is the, the ultimate purpose of church is that we, we come together to serve one another so that we would be built up. And that language of being built up, we're going to see again and again, the body growing to maturity or the building being built up together. And so the point is that church is not about my individual experience of God. It's about me serving others equipped by the Holy Spirit to do so. It means also that we don't need to try to choose between trying to do good and experiencing God. In fact... The way to do good to people is to show them God. And the way to know God and to depend on him and to live out our lives with him is to seek him in doing good to others. Well, I'm going to pause. Um, we've not got a last song. Um, we're going to have a, there's going to be a list of gifts, but we, we can look at those a little bit more um, in the weeks to come. Um, it may be that you have questions, but one of the big things I want us to focus on and think about is how can we, how can we use our gifts, the gifts that we've been given, uh, for the common good? And as we will look through this list, list of gifts, we may think, um, we may think, I want that gift for myself, or I want that gift for our church, or I don't really want those things. They're a bit weird in this church. But the big issue is not whether we want them, but whether there's a need, whether the common good needs a particular gift. And if there's a need, then we should actively pray for these gifts and trust God to provide what we need. And always looking to build others up. And as we look to build others up, then we might discover our gifts. And so... This comes back to Charlotte's question. How do we know what gifts we have? Well, look at the needs of the church. And rather than thinking, I want to exercise my gift and I want to be up at the front and doing this thing, think, is there a need? And it may be that need is up at the front. But it may be that need is behind the scenes. Where are the needs in the church? And then maybe I think, I don't have that gift. You know, I... There's a big debate about whether healing continues today. But we live in a country where everyone has access to free health care. But I've got a friend who's in Burundi, and no one has access to any kind of health care except a witch doctor. And so each year, guys from the church go out to, to share the gospel, but they often find themselves praying for people to be healed, and they come back with accounts of hundreds and hundreds of people who are healed. Now, I know this guy, and he led me on camp when I was a kid, and he's not weird. Uh, he's not making this stuff up. But there's a need there for healing. Often churches think, oh, we need to be a healing kind of church, so let's get people up at the front with a, with a sore back, and let's, let's all gather around. And actually, sometimes, that's wonderful, because their back gets healed. And, and so, you know, I was thinking about Jim this week, because you've had a sore back for a long, long time. And I was thinking, well, I, I should pray that I'd be healed. And maybe I discovered whether I... Whether I whether I've got the gift of healing. I've prayed for people to be healed before and, and not, but I know others who, I know someone actually who I really trust who, who said, um, I'm pretty confident if you've got lower back pain, 
I never knew this before, but I just found that every time I prayed for someone, they, they get healed. And he, he, he found that out because someone asked him to pray for it. So where's the, where there's a need, we, we pray into these things. And some will feel supernatural and some will feel totally normal, like messages of, of knowledge and wisdom. Well, you know, message of wisdom, that's just sharing the message of the cross from, from chapter 1. We all need to be doing that. We need to be doing it by the Spirit, not in our own strength. I said I was going to pause, didn't I? But I just carried on talking. Um, we've got five minutes left. Um, any questions, thoughts, comments before we pray? I didn't give you much building there. I just suddenly stopped. Uh, no, there's a list. Sorry, there's a list here. So have a look at verses 8 to 10. Let me read that list and then questions might form and we can come back to them another week. Um, So you'll see in verses 8 to 10, there's no real distinction between natural and supernatural. Let's read verse 8. To one there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Yep. No, and there's, there's lots of lists and, and no two are the same. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it has to be a very specific confidence to trust that something's going to happen um, because we all have the gift of faith, obviously. Um, that's the Jesus is Lord by the Holy Spirit. So I think the gift of faith is, is a particular confidence that, I'm, I'm really confident we've prayed this. I'm, I'm confident that the Lord's answered our prayers. I think we should step out and go and do that thing we prayed for. I think it would be something like that, yeah. Any other? Matt? You mentioned that this word gifts is the same word for grace. Yeah. Yes, I, I think I think often, um, and you can the privilege of having uh, the English language is that there are so many different Bibles, and you can see the different translations, and often you can see the word being so faith, trust, and believe are all the same word, and I find trust is a much more tangible word than faith. Um, so in the same way, often we get gift or granted is grace. Like, it's interesting though that sometimes we're given gifts as in talents. Uh, grace to us by the Holy Spirit. Also in, in Philippians 1, you get, it has been grace to you to suffer for the Lord Jesus. So there's some of the things we think, oh, actually, I don't, I don't want that grace. <laughs> um, shall it, shall it. I'd say both, a kind of yes, general yes. I think we should, if we see a need, the likelihood is that God has given us somewhere in the body of Christ people who can minister to that need. Um, But it needn't necessarily be, so with hospitality, it needn't necessarily be, in fact, everyone's commanded to be hospitable. Um, But it's only as you step into it that that you learn that you have it. Um, I I knew a lady at 
church I was at a while back, um, she uh, grew up, her dad was a teacher in a boarding school, so she never, ever had to cook because it was always done. So when she went to university, she was asked, can you put the, um, uh, the pasta in the saucepan and put it on the hob? And that's exactly what she did. No water. <laughs> um, and uh, it burned, obviously. She was one of the best cooks in the church that I was at. And she was amazing at hospitality. So she obviously did a lot of work between the pastor in the pot. So I think, yeah, we work at the gifts where there's a need and we pray the Holy Spirit would empower us. And sometimes the answer is, well, that's not you, but then someone else steps in. And there we get to see the wonderful diversity of the body of Christ growing. One last comment, question before we pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the amazing things that are said about us as a church, that we are the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, um, that we are gifted each by your Holy Spirit to serve the body that you've given us, that we are each equally valuable, um, that we have a status in the Lord Jesus Christ that has nothing to do with our abilities or our performance, and we have the opportunity to serve one another in joy and delight. Father, we pray that you would, uh, by your Holy Spirit, go deeply to work in our hearts and help us to seek you for a deeper experience. Thank you that when uh, Jesus said, uh, ask, seek, knock, uh, and it will be given to you. He said, um, uh, you, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And so, Father, we ask you for more of the Holy Spirit, not as a force, not as some mystical experience, but as the person that he is to come alongside us and give a deeper sense of your love through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.